Let me tell you, there is no bad time to catch up with a guy like the guy that we have on the program today. That's former Twins reliever Trevor Hildenberger. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. This is Locked on Twins. You are Locked on Twins. Your daily Minnesota Twins podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello again, and welcome back to Locked On Twins. I'm your host, Brandon Warren, and you can find me on Twitter, though I don't think I would, at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. Thanks for making us your first listen every day, and we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, thanks for that. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. That's all we need. Of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As a reminder, please be active in the comments, especially on YouTube. Good for the algorithm. Nobody knows why, but please do it. Uh, and also, too, if you have any questions you want us to answer on the show, shoot them to me on Twitter at Brandon underscore at Lock on Twins. Also, we will have breathless post-game minutes after pretty much every game, though it is an off day as we're recording. So get prepared Tuesday for Twins Cardinals at Bush Stadium on Tuesday. I put Friday on my format. Tuesday, uh, 6.45 p.m. Pablo Lopez against, we think, Jack Flaherty, though, that's still up in the air. We'll see if he gets traded away. But you can catch every pitch of the hometown broadcast with Corey and Danny with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Twins. Now Now that we've got all of that out of the way, we can get to the main course. Mr. Hildenberger, how are we doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Happy to you be bet. Uh, you were on my list pretty early. Um, I just knew you were kind of up to different things Uh all spring long and all that. So I'm glad you were able to make it work. I understand you were just getting a workout in. What what occupies you right now? What, what's keeping you busy? My two kids, mostly. Uh, being a full-time dad, really, I, I got released at the end of April. And I just have been at home dusting off the old resume and um, trying to figure out what I want to do next. Yeah. Um, but mostly just enjoying my time at home for the first time in 10 years. Um, during this part of the year, being in California, being close to my sister and my nephews and my mom and, and just spending time with family and my two kids. Yeah. So early in 2020, that was something players like Taylor Rogers, Nelson Cruz was especially true, but those guys hadn't spent that time of the year at home. And so it was so strange for them to be out of that routine. I mean, they were still doing their hitting, they're throwing whatever their plan was, but, um, you know, for Rogers, it was, uh, I think, Littleton, Colorado. He was there in April or May for the first time since he was however many years old, however many years ago. Um, is that is that – obviously, it's not a nice feeling to not be with a team right now, but is that a pretty good, um, you know, I'm happy where I'm at kind of situation? Yeah, it's bittersweet. You know, obviously, yeah. you want to play as long as you can, and I was very fortunate to play a good number of years. Um, but – to be honest, being being here at this time of year is amazing. Yeah, we've got really yeah. lucky with the weather. It's not too hot. We're not baking like uh, like Scottsdale or anything like that. Yeah. I've, you know, there's this plant. I think it's called jasmine um, that I haven't smelled since my childhood. And just being walking in my mom's front yard and smelling this jasmine plant has just been really really nice. And then being able to go to like the pool or 
something that you don't do in the winter, going to the right. beach. Right. Um, and then taking my two-year-old daughter and my nine-month-old son. It's just been, it's just been a blast. Yeah, you have a boy who is probably almost exactly the same age as ours. He was born in uh, November, so yeah, um, probably not far yep. behind. But uh, boy, it's uh, it's gone fast and slow at the same time. Yeah, it really does. I know it's a cliche, but they actually do grow up really fast. I'm like, wait, when did you start yeah. doing that? Yeah, he's moving, and it's crazy. But uh, speaking of November, what eighth? Uh, You're making me think, though. November 10th. My son's November 10th. Yeah, we were scheduled for 11, 11, 22 for like if he's not out by this day. And then there's like, ah, oh, it's go time. So I had to uh, finish my work and race to the hospital and then sit for a while. It's funny. People who don't have kids won't understand, but um, it's just an amazing whirlwind, whether it's one hour or 30 hours. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, So to, to go foundationally, I mean, it's always hard to figure out where to start these things because it's not like I'm just meeting you or you're just meeting me but at the same time too do you start with the big league career and then go back to early stuff but foundationally i want to know when did you start throwing with the motion you used in the big leagues because um you know it wasn't over the top like a lot of guys were three-quarter it was kind of, would you consider it sidearm or was it three-quarter what was this specific way you would have termed it yeah i would have called it sidearm i think yeah. people sometimes blend like sidearm and submarine together yeah. and i wouldn't call it submarine but it's definitely sidearm it was parallel to the ground i think my release point was around three o'clock and my spin axis was around three o'clock, three thirty, something like that. So just below parallel. Um, I started throwing like that in 2012. So I was at Cal. Um, this is my third year into my junior year. I played five years there, so it was my redshirt sophomore year, but whatever. Um, and I wasn't really pitching a whole lot. I had had yep. maybe 12 innings total over three years. And so I was really, and the year before I had redshirted and my team had gone to the College World Series. So I, you know, I watched all my best friends on TV in Omaha, you know, dogpile and play on ESPN. And um, I promised myself that I would do anything to be a contributing factor on the next team. You know, the next time we had success, I really wanted to be part of it because it stung, you know. Yeah. You live with those guys. You go to class with those guys. You are at six a.m. conditioning with everybody. You work. You put in all the same work, but you don't perform on the field, so you don't get to go. Um, so I really, really wanted to have success at that college level. And so I was so, waiting to throw a bullpen midweek. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, I, 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 no. Go ahead. So I, I was waiting to throw a bullpen, and the guy, the guy in front of me had the wrong practice jersey on. So my pitching coach, Mike New, who is now the head coach at Cal said you know why are you wearing number 37 that looks weird on you you're a skinny lefty you look number 37 i picture a big corner outfielder first baseman mm -hmm. dh power hitting mm -hmm. guy and i said oh that's that's funny you have weird you know preconceptions about certain jersey numbers what do you picture when you see 26 which was my number and he's like oh a side armor there's a side armor from ucla david berg and actually another side armor wore 26 for washington have you ever tried throwing that way trevor and I said, no. He's like, all right, step up. Let's do it right now. So I threw that bullpen sidearm. It was like around the strike zone and it didn't hurt. And, you know, I could sort of get it to each half of the plate. And I don't know how hard it was throwing. It must have been like 82, 83. But in college, with that motion, you're going to get natural movement. And yep. my coach said, you know, if you 
if you want to take it serious and you want to, it's not a gimmick. It's not like a trick. We're not messing around. You want to seriously make this adjustment, then you can throw strikes that way. You're going to pitch. I, I promise. What? So I went off to summer ball. This is like the last week of the year. Mm-hmm. And I went off to summer ball. I watched a ton of video on like Joe Smith and Darren O'Day and Darren Quisenberry and the guys, the guys, the guys, the guys in 20, you know, the early 2010s who had long successful careers as as sidearm pitchers justin masterson you remember justin masterson yep Uh, Um, well cleveland yeah yeah um so i watched a ton of video on that in terms of like how low should i go where should my head be my spine tilt stuff like that how long should my stride be and then i went to summer ball went through some growing pains took weightlifting real serious and then i came back and started pitching a lot more and then uh, just kept on going from there so in tw- I'm looking at the stats, and so I have to ask. In 2012, you struck out two batters in 10 and a third innings. That's That, to me, is an excessively low number. Were you just, is that uh, good? <laughs> were you a pitch-to-contact guy at that point, or was it just kind of a, hey, it's only 10 innings? I was a, I was a, I was a thankful I'm pitching kind of guy. I was an up <laughs> six, down six guy. Um, okay. Kind of mop-up innings. You know, we're playing a tournament somewhere, and one game goes extras you're going to dip into some depth in college, especially when you got a doubleheader the next day or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, so I pitched some of those innings and yeah, not a ton of swing and miss stuff. Um, didn't got to college, abandoned the breaking ball. Couldn't really throw my change up for strikes. So I was really just like a sinker slider guy. And then until I switched to sidearm and found a change up that I could throw for strikes and then slider was last. And then I had three pitches and um, started missing some more barrels. I, I really enjoy your path to the big leagues, and I have to explain why. First of all, like when a guy's drafted in the 20s, you're already kind of rooting for him. But your first year of big college experience, you're in your age 22 season. Your first year before you're drafted, so when you're really under intense scrutiny from teams watching, you are 23, or your age 23 season. Yeah. Um, when you're thinking about what's next for you in baseball, are you thinking – uh, maybe pro ball, maybe I'm too old, maybe I'll get drafted late. Like, where, where's your mind frame around all that? Um, it's interesting because my age 22 season, when I started really pitching a lot in college, I was just, like, really thankful that I could c- compete at a high Division One level. And I got to start some weekends. I started against Oregon State um, with Conforto, and they were, like, the number one team in the country at that time, which – at the time, for me, it was a big deal. Yep. Um, we started against Stanford on my graduation weekend. I felt wow. like my baseball career had – I had reached a level of success that I was content with. Even if I didn't even have good numbers, I was, like, competing at a high level and contributing to part of the team. We weren't good. Actually, directly correlated – or indirectly correlated, the amount that I pitched was how good our team was. When I never pitched, zero innings, we went to the College World Series – <laughs> the most innings I pitched, we were like 15 and 40 or something. So oh, that's we weird. never had good teams that I pitched on, but I enjoyed pitching anyways. Um, and then, you know, my scholarship was up and I didn't get drafted. And I thought, okay, that's it for my baseball career. I kind of hung my cleats up mentally and started. I had two classes to take in the summer and, and kind of checked out. Started bench pressing and stuff in the gym. And then in August, my coach called me and said, you know, you have another year of eligibility and we just had an incoming freshman who signed unexpectedly. Would you want to come back and play a fifth year? I said, yeah, of course, play as long as you can and have a job lined up. So I canceled my summer classes, stretched out that fifth year, uh, pitched well enough to get drafted 
the Twins took a chance on me. And if you look at the draft class, it was like eight of the first ten rounds were like college relievers. It was like Birdie, John Curtis, Jake Reed, Randy LeBlanc, Keaton Steele. Yep, um, I remember it was a lot just of those names. A bunch of hard-throwing right-handed right-handed relievers. And so, well, I just, it was just thought, amazing. yeah, let's let's play as keep playing as long as you can. But I didn't really think the big leagues were going to be like a career for me. Uh-huh. I just thought pro ball, of course, like keep playing as long as you can. Let's get some experience. Um, who knows? And then I just um, just kept pitching well after that. And, yeah, I think Ryan O'Rourke said he was just on this ride for as long as it would take him. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a good mentality to have, especially as a reliever, just because it's so um, it's a volatile role in terms of good year, bad year, um, good outing, bad outing. Everybody's different. And so yeah, it's just I about think, your next outing. Yeah, I think that's a good mentality to have. Um, let's take a quick second. Uh, feature that we started doing is on this day and then one year ago at the end of the first segment, one year ago today, the Twins lost 3-2 to the Padres, fell to 53-48. and 48. Uh, Dylan Bundy taking the loss. Twins dropped their fourth game in the last five and went 25 and 36 the rest of the way. So certainly not that exciting of a game. Now, we also, too, have to talk about FanDuel. Take a first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets. That's up to $200. So that's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets no matter if you win or lose. It's 200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. And it's all on an app that is safe, secure, and easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. So there's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. All right. So, um, again, thanks, people, for making Locked on Twins your first listen every day. We very much appreciate you. If you're an everydayer, we have tons of trade deadline content coming your way. Also, Twins cards at Bush Stadium Tuesday, 645. It's Pablo Lopez against, we think, Jack Flaherty. You can catch every pitch of the Twins hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Twins. Now, part of getting drafted when you did and where you did and um, as a senior sign, am I allowed to ask what your bonus was when you signed? <laughs> Hell yeah. My bonus was a thousand bucks after taxes. It was $571, which was gone within the first week in Florida because I broke my phone. And had oh. I think, uh, I think Ryan Harper told me his was a similar situation um, because he was a senior sign out of college. And he was just, again, one of those guys riding the wave until it ended. Um, hey, Anytime you get big league time, it's a good time. Um, yeah, so, they, uh, you had to live in the dorms. I was in the GCL. You had to live in the dorms no matter how old you were. Like you said, I was 23. I lived on my own for five years. Unless you owned property in Florida, you had to live in the dorms. It was $17 a day taken out of your paycheck, mandatory. Um, wow. I was making 1100 a month, and my paycheck at the end of every two weeks was $185. Uh, I it, it, This is why it's so important to pound the pavement for these guys getting taken care of. And I know that I've seen you um, talk about that, discuss that. What do you think that looks like if it happens the way it should happen? Uh, I think we've made 
huge strides with the new CBA that was agreed to before this season mm-hmm. um, and the unionization of minor leagues. I think we have minor leaguers have a lot more protections and a lot more avenues to get the work conditions that they're entitled to. Um, so it's getting closer? Yeah, it's, I mean, we're taking huge strides forward. I don't think the, the salaries that people make now, that minor leaguers make now, um, is much better. I don't think it's nearly close enough to what they're worth in reality or the, the yeah. surplus value that they create, but it's definitely right. a step in the right direction. And, um, I hope it continues to improve over the course of the, you know, the next few decades in the CBAs. Yeah, and that's part of why it's so distressing to hear people call them assets and trades, but they treat them like livestock in a lot of ways, I feel like, is you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. These people are important to your future, but you don't want to give them the best nutrition, best housing, best whatever. It just yeah. it, it never it never made sense to me. From a player's development standpoint, it doesn't make sense. No. Uh, I So your minor league numbers are, like, spotless. Like, at what point were you, like – Okay, this is this has momentum towards the big leagues. Uh, you know, you pitched in the fall league in 2015, and I want to ask you about that. But was that about the time you're like, all right, let's see where this takes us? Um, you know, it's more than just playing pro ball. I'm making momentum. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it was about the fall league when it was like, I think you know, I pitched well my first year, and I was like a GCL All Star. But there's in the GCL, it's hard to understand how you measure up against everyone else in the organization because it's chain link fences. There's no scoreboards and there's no night games. There's no fans. It doesn't feel like professional baseball and it definitely feels like a step back from division one college baseball. Yeah. So then in 2015, my first year I went to Cedar Rapids and you went on bus trips and you stayed in hotels and that felt more like the grind of minor league baseball. And I pitched mm-hmm. well, um, went to the fall league and played with and against a lot of top prospects and you I think I heard a number of like you know 60% of the guys who play in the fall league end up debuting something like that um and at that point I was like oh I'm I had a decent I don't know two months in the fall league month six weeks whatever it is I thought okay I could I can hang with these guys and maybe there is a a, a path to the big leagues for me and I think it was in 2016 in double a when I was having success that I thought, okay, I could definitely pitch in the big leagues. There's no doubt in my mind. So by a quick count of my, uh, my, my math is not great. You may know that by now, but um, 27 <laughs> of the 39 guys on the team that you played on in 15 made the big leagues and at least have bold ink on their names on baseball reference. Uh, it looks like there's a lot of twins representation, but not only is there twins representation, but you also played with Adalberto Mejia, who I don't know if he was a twin yet, but was definitely going to be. No, Just, he was a giant at the time. And Justin Haley would have been a blue, uh, Red Sox at the time. Justin Haley, that's right, yeah. Um, Stuart Turner was definitely with you guys. Uh, Garver. But, like, um, Yandy Diaz still still mashing. Um, Carlos Aswae, I know his ex-agent. He's kind of a crazy dude. Um, but, yeah, just uh, lots of guys who – uh, not as much like superstar status, but like lots of guys who made the big leagues and definitely were not nobodies. And then, of course, Clint Taylor Rogers. Frazier. Yeah, yep. Taylor Rogers, Clint Frazier, Sam Travis. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Um, yeah, what's that experience like? Because because it's not so it's it's not the regular season grind in the sense that you're traveling as much as you are. But like I know guys for postseason stuff, they they don't like it as much because they're not getting paid. 
with AFL, is that a different kind of grind, a different kind of thing? Are you happy to be there? Are you like, I got to put my work in or what's the mindset of being sent to the AFL? Um, it depends. I think half the guys there are really excited because mm-hmm. you play with like four other organizations, right? Like the twins so, or yeah. whoever send like five or six guys and, we were with the Tigers and the Red Sox and the Giants and the Indians. Cleveland, I think, yeah, because I Cleveland, see Garner. Yeah. And uh, was Garner, a, Percy Garner would be one. TJ House would be another. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so you get to compare what the organizations are like. And eventually, later down the road, you learn that a lot of players play for the organizations that they played with that year. Like, I ended up playing with the Red Sox and the Giants and – a lot of te- people on that team played with the twins who were on You're an immaculate team. grid sensation. Yeah. Yeah. Low percentage. Um, but half the guys are like, wow, I really wish I could just go home and rest. I know that yeah. I'm a prospect and I want, this is for me to show off to be trade bait and I'm tired or I'm nursing a hammy or whatever. And I just wish that I could go spend time with my family and not play baseball until Thanksgiving. Yeah. Cause it's just, it ends up, sometimes affecting your next year because you have such a short turnaround you have december january and then you're back at it in february and that's not yeah not the great not not, not enough time to rest and recover from throwing x amount of innings or whatever or if you need to make strength gains that's not a huge window well not only that but you might get turned around and get drafted in the rule five at the winter meetings and have to start planning for an entirely new organization i mean that's crazy too so so it, it's um, depends who you are, depends where you are in your career, but it's a lot of fun. You're out in Arizona during a great time of year. You spend Halloween out there. You play mm-hmm. a lot of day games. You don't take a lot of BP. Um, it's it's a pretty relaxed league, but it's a lot of fun. What was the um, what was the situation where the front office had a changeover? You went from the Terry Ryan twins to the Falvey Levine twins. How? Um, how did that process go? Because, you know, you can be a, a Terry Ryan guy and you might not be one of the new guys, uh, guys like they're not their pets necessarily, but the guys they drafted. Um, but at the same time too, you came in and needed to build all your equity besides. So how are you feeling when that change is over? Um, I didn't think about it too much. I was really, um, probably for the best. Yeah. Like super focused on just having, being healthy and then because it happened in 2016 right uh yes after 2016 uh yeah like i was just focused on being healthy and i i was coming off a pretty good year so it was like you pitch well you're gonna stick around you don't pitch well you're not gonna stick around that's always kind of been the reality for me so mm-hmm. um it didn't i didn't pay a ton of attention to it until i got to the big leagues and you kind of understand well, yeah you know for the what they value differently yeah so managers kind of run the gamut. You'll get guys who are good teachers, but maybe didn't have big, big league careers. And then you have Paul Molitor, who's a hall of famer, but I kind of felt as though he could instruct too. It wasn't like a, you know, where Ted Williams was a really poor manager. Things just didn't go well. They had good years under Molitor. What, what was it like to play for a guy who not only is that well-regarded in the game, but he's also a local guy and you know, there's just a lot of respect for him in the game. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, it was awesome to play for somebody with so much baseball experience and knowledge and success. I think he really 
he, he you know he would talk hitting with got hitters mm-hmm. but we never really talked a ton of pitching um I would talk pitching with Neil Allen or Eddie Granado in 2017. Right. But he was just, he was a very calming presence because he never really got, he never seemed rushed or rattled or um, out of his element. He was mm-hmm. always very calm and, and collected in the dugout. And I think as a rookie, having a Hall of Fame, we had a Hall of Fame first baseman and a Hall of Fame manager. So it was easy to look at those two. And they're both homegrown guys. So it was easy to look yeah. at like, Especially when, you know, there'd be a losing streak or someone needs to address the media about something. It's mm-hmm. easily one of these two people yeah. um, or Dozier. And yeah. that, that was, there was no like, um, you know, who's going to lead us out of this losing streak. It was clear. Um, Are you still doing good on time? I don't want to take up all your time. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. So in one, what's your best story that you could tell that would sum up what Joe Maurer was like as a teammate? Huh. Um, as a teammate? Or as a guy, whatever. I mean, we, 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 we our people clamor for Maurer stories because he's such a quiet, reserved guy. Like we didn't talk to him that much in the clubhouse because he was either getting treatment or whatever. But, um, you know, there was a story, well, uh, Pat Light told a story about them playing a video game and Joe Maurer was just so unnaturally good that he didn't even need Pat Light with him. Yeah, like that is a running joke. It was a running joke because he would everyone's like, Yeah, yeah, he was, you know, first overall pick and you know, he plays hockey in the offseason and he's good at that. And he was gonna go play quarterback at Florida State and yada yada. He could he was hoop good a bit. Everything. Yep. Yeah, he could hoop, he was like all state in basketball or whatever. Hate those and guys. It was a running joke about like, yeah, he's just like good at everything. And he doesn't understand how people are not good at stuff. But anyways, <laughs> like a, a football was in the locker room one time and then it came out on the field. People were throwing around a football. And then he picked it up ice cold and just spun this perfect like 40 yard spiral. <laughs> just dime. And I was like, oh, he really is. He really is that good at everything. All those stories are kind of true. And Taylor Rogers would always say that he would pick off to first base just so that he would have Joe Maurer throw it back to him, a perfect four seam to the chest every time because he had such a, a rocket arm. Um, you know, but I remember, you know, he's a big – he's into rap. He likes hip-hop. T.I. And, yeah, yeah, that was his walkout his whole career. But I remember – I don't know if it was 17 or 18. I remember walking through the clubhouse because he knew I liked rap. And he was like, hey, Hildy you heard that new Eminem album. And I was like, huh? You talking to me? He's like, yeah. Have you checked out that new Eminem album? I was like, no, not yet, but I will tonight, sir. Mr. Maurer, sir, I'll report back to you tomorrow. Because I was <laughs> so excited to talk to him about that. So um, he really is a good teammate and a good leader. And um, he definitely had his routine. But two hours, two and a half hours he'd take to get his, prepare his body to play that last year in 2018 was super impressive. Oh, man. Um, very disciplined and yeah, he really is just a gifted human being athletically. So let's talk about you though. Like that 2017 season is like a rookie season as far as a reliever. I mean, you're, you know, you're not going to win the Cy Young or anything, but like awesome numbers. Everything seems to have gone your way. Um, What are you feeling like as that's happening and when it's done? Are you just like, I did it. We just got to keep doing there. What's your mentality after, uh, 
enduring a season like that? Um, well, during the season, it's just on to the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't looking at a big picture thing, anything like that. It was like, you make your debut, it goes well. You're just trying to have another good outing after that. Right. Throw strikes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not pitching in important spots yet. Throw strikes. Put hitters away when you get the opportunity. Keep the ball in the ball yard. That's it. And then, you know, as bullpens got shuffled a little bit, injuries or, um, you know, guys pitch two or three days in a row and then we have another tight game, then you might have an opportunity to pitch in a closer game. Mm-hmm. And I remember pitching in a game, a tie game in Oakland, uh, end of July. It's like a month into my big league career and uh, I gave up a leadoff double and then pitched around it. And that was like very important for me to, he got to third with less than two outs and I got a pop-up or a strikeout and then struck the next guy out and stranded him there. And then that put up another zero and another extra inning game. And that, that was my first time like pitching in a, um, a kind of do or die situation. Mm-hmm. And then Molly started to trust me a little bit more and I pitched in, in bigger and bigger spots. Um, so that's just a big confidence builder. When you are, you know, are trusted to put, to be put in that, a tight game situation and you get through it and then you get rewarded with another one or you get rewarded with your first ever career back to back or yep. mid inning. Hey, you need, we need you to come put out this fire mid inning. Mm-hmm. Um, that builds, that builds the confidence in that and that helping very naturally, very organically for me. So um, towards the end of 2017, I had, I had really high confidence that I could get anybody out at any time. So you were your your two main seasons with the Twins had two very I don't know about controversial but definitely publicized trade deadlines. The first one in seventeen where they trade for and trade away Garcia. You guys make the wild card game after single digit playoff odds in the early August, um, and then twenty eighteen was the sell off with Dozier and and Lance Lynn and all those guys. Uh, I want to talk about twenty eighteen briefly after this, but. What's the trade deadline like for players, even who aren't necessarily going to be on the move? It Do those trades signal different things to you guys? Or do you just like people say the 2017 team might've felt like they didn't believe in them or whatever. How much of that trickles down to you guys? Um, that's a good question. I think no matter what, you know that you have to go out there and perform and you have mm-hmm. to go out there and win that ball game. Um, but it definitely, I don't want to say that it like, we don't pay attention to it. People do. Right. It affects yep. people's lives and careers and families. When you get traded and your whole family has to move or has to, you know, kids change schools or whatever it is, um, it's a big deal. So I remember learning when Escobar was traded, we were in Boston yep. and it came across, it came across the ESPN like bottom line. And that's mm-hmm. how I found it. Uh, and he was in the office already, but, but I didn't know he had gone in there and, and was being told. Um, and it's shocking sometimes and sad, really sad. But Presley got traded. And Presley was one of my good friends. And I think that was the same Minnesota. day. Yeah, same day. Uh, Dozier, Lynn, Zach Duke. Rodney. Yeah, 2018, Rodney. That was a big sell-off. 17, we made Jaime Garcia trade. Anyone else? Uh, that was pretty much it. I think they traded away Kinsler, maybe. Yeah, Kinsler. 
<laughs> and the guy that they got for him never made the big league. So that's why it's hard to sell some of these. You know, he's because he's not a star. He was an all-star and a good reliever, but it wasn't like teams were backing up for him like Araldus Chapman, for instance. Sure, yeah. Right. Same kind of deal. Yeah. Um yeah, 17, I was really really hyper focused on just like keeping my job and staying in the yeah. big leagues. Yep. I couldn't pay I didn't have the bandwidth to pay attention to the implications of, you know, us selling or buying or what that meant for the team down the line. I remember we went on a, we had like 20 wins in August or something and then yep. Yep. maybe had a good run and, and, and made the playoffs, which was an incredible feeling. But um, I don't think that was like out of spite for the trade deadline. Yep. I don't think that motivated us anymore. Everyone knows everyone's trying to win every day. And that's the best thing about the big leagues is unlike the minor leagues, winning is so important and so much fun. You win in the um, minor leagues, it's great. Yeah. But the minor leagues is about getting to the big leagues, and then you're all pulling in the same direction. In the big leagues. So, there, there's a significant faction of Twins fans that have convinced themselves it would be better to not make the playoffs than to make it and lose more games. Uh, from a player <laughs> standpoint, that's absolutely bananas, right? Like absolutely insane <laughs> bananas. Yeah, that's stupid. What about your playoff bonus? Well, that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, just the idea that like. Letting your I feel I, like letting. I I understand it because uh, I think fans. Oh, if there are some fans who tie their well-being to a team or a game or a, a sport mm-hmm. a lot more than some players do, yep. because players have to separate their livelihood from their the, the rest of their life sometimes because it's so uh, enveloping. And if mm-hmm. you really tie your self-worth to how you perform on the field or how your team performs on the field, that's that can be very detrimental. Um, but, yeah, making the playoffs is the best feeling ever. And you, you don't have a chance to win a championship if you don't make it. Yeah. And isn't there, there's teams that have won World Series with, like, 83 wins. I think, like, the 2006, 2006 Cardinals. Yeah, 2006 Cardinals have, like, 80 wins and won a World the, Series. The 06 so. Twins had, like, 97 wins and lost the series. It, it doesn't really have a rhyme or reason. Yeah, you could just get hot at the right time, or or everyone comes healthy at the end of the year, whatever it is. Yep. Um, but no, making making the playoffs is definitely better than not making the playoffs. So. <laughs> you got time for two more? Sure. All right. Um, twenty eighteen. I, I it was a tough year. Uh, I'm wondering though, like all the moves to me at least made sense on the surface. You know, Lance Lynn, good pitcher. Why wouldn't you want him on your team? Logan Morrison hit. 30 bombs the year before you know at at some point i'm sure it started to feel like square peg round hole for a lot of these guys but at what point did you sense that 2018 just wasn't the year for i mean i gotta ask for you especially but also for the team because i just had such high hopes and i thought the moves were smart i thought everything made sense and then i don't know it just felt like all that snow at the beginning of that season and it just kind of cloud hung over the team for a long time yeah i don't I don't know if I could pinpoint a, a point in the season when it was like, ah, we're we're not going to make the playoffs, or ah, we're bad, or we're below expectations. But I do remember that that trip um, in late April. We went to Puerto Rico, yep, New York, and Tampa, and I don't really remember in what order. But oh, we, I think we went Tampa to Puerto Rico. Yeah, because Buck anyway. had fouled a ball off his foot. Yeah. And the flight was like longer than we expected to Puerto Rico. I didn't, I didn't anticipate the travel, but uh, we got swept in Tampa. 
swept in New York with a couple walk-offs and then split a series in Puerto Rico. Um, and then was, we were like one and eight and that was coming off. We had a four game series against the White Sox that were snowed out. Yep. So we hadn't played in like five days. Right. And then we went one and eight and it was like two weeks without a good feeling in the, uh, in the clubhouse or find a, a good rhythm with the lineup or good rhythm pitching and, um, guys are rusty when you start playing again, you know? So I remember that being, a, um, I just remember that. And then I, for me personally, I felt like I had pitched pretty well through the first two months of the season, maybe three months of the season. Um, and then I had an outing in Chicago and it was like a thousand degrees. I, I was like just going to ask you, I covered that yeah. series in person. I was there for you, yeah. you guys. And um, that to me, that series unreal just the heat I, i've never seen anything like it yeah it was it was brutal i remember kepler taking like two iv bags people were dropping like flies bobby wilson it was the hottest it was the hottest i've ever pitched in i couldn't yeah. i mean you were just breathing in your own sweat that it just <sighs> evaporated off your body it was so hot but yeah i pitched really poorly you gave up like five rounds and then um i was lucky enough to pitch in some some closing roles and got a few saves that year, but um, I just never got, never got into the rhythm I was in, in April and May. So the last thing I want to ask you about, because I think a lot of people would be interested in this and not realize it is what is the average game day look like for a reliever? Who's um, you know, the, the, maybe the role you had in the middle of 2017, you know, um, when are you showing up? How do you get yourself ready? Not knowing if you will or won't pitch, et cetera. Uh, okay, I can speak to my own experience. Right. My own rhythm. Seven o'clock game. I'm probably getting to the field one thirty, two, maybe one if I'm gonna have lunch there. Roll out, stretch, eat lunch, um, do my arm care for that day. I think we stretch as a reliever as a pitcher's group around three thirty, three forty-five. Play catch, do your mound work if you have mound work, flat ground work if you have flat ground work. Um, do your running, conditioning, and then you get some time. You can shag, um, or you get some time to play cards, play a little basketball in the mini basketball hoop. You have some <laughs> downtime. Um, you can hang out in the clubhouse if you want to talk to media. Media will be chilling in there. I wouldn't do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of guys skedaddle and go in the cages or go in the weight room or go in the the back room and yeah. and then right around six o'clock i'm probably going to get in the hot tubs contrast wake the body up shower get dressed um and then if you're on the road stay at the top of the first and then head down to the bullpen in the dugout just top of the first in the dugout or if there's a back way take the back way mm -hmm. um but you're out there for the anthem and high five and everybody and getting ready for the game. And then third inning, I take a Red Bull and an Advil. And then mm -hmm. fifth, fourth inning, or top of the fifth, I'm going to stretch. I'm going to do my stretch routine, stretch my legs, get my heart rate up, central nervous system firing full speed, and then do my bands um, right after that to loosen up my arms. And then pretty much like every four innings after that. So you wait, sixth, seventh, you're still kind of moving around, staying loose, eighth, ninth, if it looks like it's going extras, I'll probably do my stretch routine again. 
Yeah, I always feel like it's got to be kind of weird to watch the game from that vantage point instead of the dugout, but guys have done it for a million years. So, um, the, some gonna... of the best, some of the best times I've had is in the bullpen, but the highs in the dugout are really high when you're in the dugout and you're scoring in a rally yeah. and people are scoring like that's sick. I, I made, made me jealous to not be a starter because I would love yeah. to spend some games in the dugout. Well, thank you so much for taking time with us. Uh, quick one, 20 years ago on this day, Twins beat the Orioles in 10th inning. Walk-off fashion, uh, A.J. Pruszynski had four hits, and the Twins had an incredible sequence with walks and strikeouts in the ninth. But they were 37-18 and 18 the rest of the way, so don't say it isn't possible to have a big, strong rest of the season. For Trevor Hildenberger, you can follow him at underscore T. Hildy. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, check out Locked on Twins on Twitter at Locked on Twins at Brandon underscore Warren. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. Check back. We will have copious trade deadline content. But subscribe, like, give us a five-star rating. We'd love to have you on YouTube or on any of the podcast apps. This is Brandon signing off saying we will catch you later.